You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Well, amen. It's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles or your device and you can go to Exodus 19. Exodus 19, beginning in verse 1, is where it will be this morning. Now, if you've been with us throughout the book of Exodus, uh, I can catch you up if you haven't been, but the people of Israel have been finally freed from Egypt. And God set them free with his mighty hand and with his outstretched arm. And now they're walking through the wilderness already. And what we're seeing is Pastor Barry's sermon and in Lawson's sermon that God is among them. They've got bread coming from the sky, water coming out of rocks. They have enemies being defeated. They've got leaders being assembled to help lead them in in the wilderness. And so what are we really seeing through these accounts? You're not just seeing the story of a group of Israelites and their journey from slavery towards freedom and walking with God. You're seeing more. What you're actually seeing is your story. You're seeing your journey, this church's journey, every church's journey, every Christian's journey, whether it's in Houston, Texas, or in Mumbai, India, you are seeing the story of people, the people of God, being brought out of sin, being brought out of slavery, and being brought into freedom with God. And they are in the wild, and we too, we are a church in the wild that is redeemed, but we are barreling forward towards a glorious future and and on mission with God's purpose and on mission with God's promises too. Their story is ours. And as we look at Exodus 19, Since these words come to us in the same Sinai quaking power and authority, let's stand together as we read. And we'll begin in verse 1. And our brother Moses tells us by the power of the Spirit. In the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim and came to the Sinai wilderness and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Moses went up to the mountain to God, and the Lord Yahweh called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, You will be my possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him, that all the people responded together. We will do all that the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. Moses reported the people's words to the Lord and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, be careful, that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. No hand may touch him. Instead, he will be stoned or shot with arrows and shall not live, whether animal or human, whether rams. And when the ram's horn sounds, a long blast, 
that may go up the mountain. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we look at your word and would, would your word and the call that you've put on our lives and would your holiness that's, that's going to rattle Mount Sinai, would it meet with us now today? Because Lord, we are all over the place. Different situations, different circumstances, different, different postures towards you. And would your holiness encounter us and every one of them? And would we find ourselves submitted to you, walking with you? And it's in your mighty name that we pray, King Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I, I feel like I've made it known before that I am what can affectionately be called an avid endorsement. I don't hunt, I don't fish. I definitely don't camp, but I don't have anything against those things. I know people have fun doing them. If you do them on a regular basis, basis I'm glad that you do, and I'm glad you enjoy it. But for me, and I, I mean, I've done those things before, and I've derived moderate amounts of joy from doing those things. But I'm just built for the common graces of air conditioning and smart TVs and Wi-Fi and my couch. But one thing I don't mind is the beach. And a couple weeks ago, our family went on vacation to Florida. And one morning, I got up early-ish, and I went walking on the sand, watching the waves come up. And I walked two miles one way and then two miles back to, to the house. And as I was walking back, I noticed my footprints. And I noticed other people's footprints all in the sand. And I couldn't help but think of that short story, poem-ish thing, Footprints in the Sand. Do you know this? You heard of the Footprints in the Sand? If you don't know this, Here's the footprints in the sand story. One night, a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. And across the sky flashed scenes from his life. And for each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. But when the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand, and he noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. And this really bothered him. And he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my son, my precious child, I love you. And I would never leave you during your times of trial and suffering. When you, when you see only one set of footprints in the sand, it was then that I carried you. That story is so close to being the encouragement you actually need. So when things are good, I don't need him to carry me. When things are okay, I don't need God's help. He only carries me during the difficulties? No. This is why author Jared Wilson re re rewrites this story and he changes the ending to, to this. So the, remember the guy's complaining, Lord, how come, how come there's only one set of footprints? Where were you? Jared rewrites, God speaks, my child, there's only ever been one set of footprints in the sand because your sorry behind always needed to be carried. <laughs> That's encouraging. That's Christianity. 
And this is something we have to realize here as the Lord tells them in verse 4, I carried you on eagles' wings. As they're journeying in the wilderness out of Egypt and now walking through the wilderness, we got to remember God is carrying us. We are his and he has a purpose for us. Verse 1 tells us in chapter 19, that is three months from the very day that they have walked out of Egypt and now they're walking with God and they're about to receive the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. They're about to meet the Lord at Mount Sinai. All of these things are happening, but the significance of this mountain, this encounter cannot be overlooked. I mean, this shapes their lives forever. This shapes your life and my life forever. If you remember Sinai, which is also called Horeb, this is where God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. This is the place where they first meet. And God tells Moses, at that mountain, at that spot, you're going to bring these people out of Egypt, and you're all going to come back to this mountain and worship me. That's Exodus 3. I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I'm the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. God kept his word. Here they are. They are, they are camping at Mount Sinai, getting ready to hear the Ten Commandments, getting ready to worship God. But did you notice how their campground was described? Now, I, I know, I already said I'm not an avid camper, but how was their campground described? Look at verse, the end of verse 2. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. In front of the mountain. That should give you pause. Do mountains have fronts? No, they have bases. So why does the Bible point out they're at the front of the mountain? Because Sinai is not to be viewed just as any old mountain. It's treated like a temple. They're meeting God here. It's treated as a tabernacle, a place of worship. It's treated even as a throne where the king of the universe is going to speak to them. And so they're not just at any mountain. They are parked in front of the throne. They are parked in front of a temple where God will meet with them and God will speak. And God has a word for them. We are redeemed for God. Did God set the Israelites free just to pile drive Pharaoh and Egypt? No. He set them free for himself. Look look at verse 4. So Moses goes up and he's speaking to God. God speaks to him. And verse four, God says, tell all the nation this, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You saw my plagues. You saw my power. You saw my mercy. You saw what I did. The Red Sea, you saw how I set you free. But look what else God says. How I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. They were redeemed for him. He'll say later, to be my possession, to be my people. You are redeemed for God, to belong to him. And he carries them on eagle's wings. When you read the Bible, you should see phrases like this, like at the front of a mountain. Why at the front of a mountain? Why eagle's wings? Why not pigeon's wings? They got wings. Why not dove's wings? That's a biblical bird. Why not stork's wings? Why an eagle? Because an eagle is a predator. An eagle is, an, is dangerous. An eagle is an attacker. It's in a bird that can inflict danger. It's not a scavenger. That's why it doesn't say, I carried you on seagull's wings. The seagulls are annoying. But when God says, I carried you out on eagle's wings, he's saying, I am your protector. 
and I can harm anyone that gets in your way. I just showed you with Egypt. And also, I can carry you. And I'm gentle enough. I am fierce, and I am friendly to my people. And so when he tells the Israelites, I carried you, he is reminding them, none of you strutted out of Egypt on your own power. I carried you out. And he's reminding us of the exact same thing. You did not strut out of your sins. You did not exert your own power and get yourself out of your sins. No, he carried you on his arms, on his nail-scarred hands. Now, I know my kids, my kids love me. I know that without a doubt. Ivy, my daughter, my oldest, she refuses to have a favorite between Natalie and I. You ask her, put her on the hot seat. Who's your favorite? She goes, I, I love you both. I can't, I don't have a favorite. But you ask my son, Oliver, my youngest. Oliver, who's your favorite? I, I don't even get to finish the sentence. Mama. Oliver, no, that mama is, not you. And I don't blame him. I, I'd rather be with mama too. And when we were at Disney World, he only wanted mama to carry him. At, at the end of the night, exhausted. He doesn't want to ride in the stroller. I want mama. I want mama. I'll carry you, buddy. You know, no, I want mama. I tried to carry him. No, I just want mama. And he's tired, whiny. It's way past bedtime, all this stuff. So Natalie carries him. And when a kid falls asleep, research has shown they get 100% heavier when they fall asleep in your arms. And so there's my wife, her bum shoulder, carrying this boy that has now fallen asleep and transformed into a bag of mulch. And she's carrying him all the way out of the back of Magic Kingdom, all the way to the buses, a little reprieve on the bus ride, but then carrying him all the way to the last hotel room in all of Orlando. She carried him because she loves him. And listen, beloved, this is what the grace of God does for you. God carries you. And God carries me. When the Lord tells him, I carried you, reminding them you didn't do anything. Grace, when you really understand the grace of God, grace deswaggerizes you. All the ways that you think you're so great, all the ways that you think you're more godly than others, all the ways that you think you know the Bible, and all the ways that you're better than X, Y, Z, or you've got your life. No, grace deswaggerizes us. It shows us we are totally dependent on the grace of God alone. This is for, I mean, the, the reason why you haven't lost your salvation yet is because of God. Because if you could lose your salvation, this church would be empty in all three services. We would have already all lost it. You would not have made it 24 hours if you could lose your salvation. And when you realize that by the grace of God, you are what you are, and that right now, Jesus isn't shooing you away. This is what amazes me about Jesus. Even when he tells Jerusalem, I longed to gather you under my wings. And here we are at church. We've sinned this week. We didn't read our Bibles as much as we had liked this week. We didn't pray as much as we'd like this week. We were ashamed of Jesus certain times this week. We sinned in ways we knew we shouldn't have done this week. We're all, we didn't really enjoy singing the songs that much this morning. We're already kind of bored during the sermon. All of these things that we think would, would cause Jesus to want to repel us away, but he's not shooing us away. And said, Jesus is actually saying, no, come near to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. In fact, Jesus isn't saying, hey, get away from me, you're annoying me. Jesus is saying, no, cast your burdens on me. Cast your burdens on me because I care for you, because I am with you. Cast them all, and I will give you rest. That's why I love the old song. This is a great old song. What a friend we have in Jesus. 
all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And I love how it shows the consequences of when we don't rely on our friendship with Jesus, what peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. See, friends, Jesus, he carries us on these eagle's wings, the Bible says, but he carries our sins to the cross. Your real sins, the sins you're most disgusted by that you haven't even told the people closest to you, Jesus knows them and he takes them all, all the way to his cross. And he dies for them in full. Every nail pierced, every whip, every drop of blood as there's drop after drop after drop. What you're seeing is sin being paid, being paid, being paid. And he takes your sins on himself and he dies for them. And then he goes to the tomb as his body becomes a lifeless corpse on a slab. And they wrap his body in these burial linens. Your sins are wrapped up in there with him. And then when Jesus' lungs fill back up with air on Easter morning and he folds, takes off those burial clothes and he folds them up, your sins are tucked there in between the creases, left forever. And Jesus rises, walks out of that tomb, and he carries you with him to newness of life, all by believing in him. See, friends, Jesus carries us from the beginning and all the way till the end to the final trumpet blares. And you walk into that new Jerusalem Jesus carries you home. You are riding on the wings of the risen Christ. Christianity, if you think about it, really is just a coattail religion. I know you've heard that phrase, oh, they're just riding that guy's coattails. Christians, you just riding Christ's coattails. Absolutely. And we are riding a carpenter's coattails all the way into glory. See, C.S. Lewis was asked, what belief makes Christianity unique? among all the other religions in the world. He didn't hesitate just like Oliver. He said, that's easy, grace. Grace. He carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to himself. Do you notice in verse four, all the, I want you to notice him. There's a lot of yous here. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, You, how I carried you on eagle's wings, how I brought you to myself. Now, when we read this, what we need to do as a church is not over-personalize this. This is a struggle for our self-centered culture that we all get into. Is God speaking to one person or to a group of people? He's speaking to a group of people. And it's fine to look at this and go, man, look at how God has delivered me from this sin and this sin and, and what God's brought me through. That's amen, good, and true. But you can't over-personalize it and rip out the body element of this verse. God is speaking to the nation of Israel. You saw what I did to, for your neighbor, how I carried your friends on eagle's wings too. Not just you, but everybody. And so what you have to do when you see yous like this in the Bible, you really need to read them as y'alls. Y'all seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I carried y'all on eagle's wings. How I brought y'all to myself. See, our, our culture is so self-centered that we forget that most of the New Testament, except for like maybe three letters, was written to churches. First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. So four, four. Those are all written to individuals. All the rest, they are written to groups of people. So every you you read in the New Testament ought to be read as a y'all. And so we have got to learn to read the Bible as a community, to think through the scriptures, as a community of people, as a church body, how God has carried us. That how God has carried you is how God's carried me. That's when you begin to rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 
to read and experience the Christian life as a community. And, when, and as Pastor Kevin mentioned, today's the last Sunday in this building. And I can't help but think about how God has blessed us and carried us these seven and a half years here. The probably close to over 100 people baptized in that short time here. And the water splashed on the floors in here. The people who've been born again in this room. People whose lives have been literally changed by men's and women's Bible studies. How our sprawling mega campus became a Hurricane Harvey donation center just last year. How we've gone through so many books of the Bible here. Hebrews, Ecclesiastes, Acts, and, and more on Sunday mornings. Elders and deacons trained and installed. King's Church trained and sent out, planted in Conroe. And during our time here, there's no doubt that, that we've grown more numerically, sure, but we've matured and we've experienced a real awakening to the centrality of the gospel and, the, and Jesus having first place over all things. I mean, our mission statement, making disciples and making much of Jesus, I think when we first launched that, got that together, that was a hope. Just a, let's hope this sticks to the wall. Let's hope this happens. We were not that. But by God's mercy, we are that now today. We are making much of Jesus. We do see the first place of Christ in everything. And we have, we're leaving this place stronger than when we came here. And it's because of you. It's because of the people God has brought here. We are all stronger because of your presence. We have more members, more leaders, more deacons, more members, more groups, more classes. We are better equipped to love one another and to serve our city because of the people God has brought here. And God did all of this. He carried us. It's not me, it's not any of the other pastors. It's flying on the wings of grace. And as we go to Concordia Lutheran High School, and then by God's mercy, if we build that building soon and we're on our property there, it's not gonna be, oh, we finally arrived. We made it. No, we will always be a church in the wild. We will always be in the wilderness. We will always be roaming. We'll always be looking forward, always going forward in mission, always going forward upstream against the tide of the world, holding to this ancient book and refusing to talk about a man from Nazareth who refused to stay dead back in the first century. And who was alive in the heavenly places and is relevant for every person in this world. This is our mission. We're going to keep talking this way and keep living this way because we are redeemed for God. Look at verse 4. That's why the Lord says, I brought you, I carried you on eagle's wings, and I brought you to myself. See, the destination of the Exodus isn't really the promised land. That's a blessing. The destination of the Exodus is God himself. And so is your conversion. The destination of your conversion isn't heaven. The goal of you, you being born again and being saved isn't streets of gold. The destination of your conversion is God himself. Heaven isn't heavenly because that's just what heaven is. Heaven isn't heaven because of its geography. Heaven is heaven because God is there. God brings us to himself. And look at what he says in verse 5, how he defines this even more. Now, if you will, tells the Israelites, if you'll carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession. Literally in Hebrew, this means special treasure. This is an undeniable expression of God's love. 
And God is looking at the nation of Israel and saying, you are my possession out of all the peoples in the earth. And he tells them even later in Deuteronomy, don't think I saved you because you're so great. You're actually very small and embarrassing as a nation. But I loved you. And that's how God is with us. He looks at us and now in Christ. And we are his possession, as Paul says in Titus 2, that Jesus gave himself for us on that cross, pinned to the cross like an insect to redeem us from all of our sins, all of our lawlessness, all of our lawbreaking, all of our drunkenness, all of our lust, all of our immorality, all of these things. Jesus dies for them to cleanse us from them and to make what? A people for his own possession. That's Exodus 19 language. People that would belong to God. People that are his. You belong to Jesus. And his blood was the payment. That's how he purchased you, with his blood. This is what it means to be a Christian, not just on Sundays. Not just Bible Belt living, Christianese kind of people. People who do Christianly things and act Christianly in certain ways. But no, people who are the possession of Christ. That he is their Lord. He sets them free from a spiritual Egypt, sets them free from their own Egypt, redeems them, gives them new life. And look at what he says, for a purpose. Paul says, eager to do good works. And what does Exodus show us? Verse six, we are redeemed for God's purposes. Look at verse six. And Yahweh speaks to Moses, tell the people, and that they will be, you will be, y'all will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. So God tells the whole nation, I redeemed you. I redeemed you, brought you to myself, and I redeemed you for a purpose, a kingdom of priests. Not just a few in the priesthood, which they will have, Aaron and Levi, they're going to have a few that are marked out to go into the temple and all these kinds of things. But God says, not just that. I want all of you to be a kingdom of priests. The whole nation are to have the posture and ministry of priests in the world. And, And look at me. And so do you. If you are in Christ, you have this exact same call on your life to be a kingdom of priests. As Jesus says, salt and light in this world. As Jesus says, you're to be a light shining in the darkness. Jesus says, you're to be a city set on a hill whose light cannot be hidden. We could say, you're to be a bucky sign in the distance when on a road trip. You're to be free guacamole in a land where guac is extra. You're to be a newly opened checkout line at HEB. You're to be a knowledgeable Home Depot employee. See, all of these things, they all, what Jesus is saying, salt, light, city on a hill, Bucky sign, open line, new open line at long lines at HEB, all these things bring joy. They bring relief. They bring comfort. They bring help. They bring guidance. And that's God's mission and purpose for everyone in this church that is in Christ, that is truly a follower of the Lord Jesus. You are a chosen race. Now, Peter says this, all from Exodus 19, applying to Christians all spread throughout the Roman Empire and to Christians right now spread throughout Houston, Texas, in this room. You are a chosen race. Y'all are a royal priesthood. Y'all are a holy nation. For his possession. See, this is all Exodus 19 language. You are all of these things. This is your mission too. Why? So that you can have awesome church services on Sunday. 
No. So that you can have a great Bible study together during the week. No. Those things happen. Those are great. But why? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of Egypt, who called you out of sin, who called you out of darkness and called you into his marvelous light. This is us. This is our collective ministry. This is your life now. We are all employed to work for the king and on behalf of the king. The world is crumbling. And the Bible says that the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. So making much of Jesus, making, proclaiming his praise, that's what all that means. This doesn't mean you have to get all apologetic and learn how to argue with atheists and learn how to argue against evolution and learn how to argue against whatever else is going in the culture. That's not what this means. This just means making known the ways God has blessed you, making known his praises, what he's done for you, what he's done for us, bringing us from darkness to light, that conversion, that salvation. So listen, every Christian in this room, this is your ministry. Every single one of us. This is the calling on your life. This is, this is unavoidable. This is non-negotiable. There are no asterisks. Unless, well, you have to go to seminary first. Or you've got to be ordained first. Or you've got to be a Christian for at least a couple of years first. No, the people in Exodus who are charged with this, they've been redeemed for three months. If you've been redeemed for three months, three days, 30 years, it doesn't matter. You, if you are in Christ, you're a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Make his praises known. And we're all going to do this in different ways. Some of us will do it from stages. It's fine. Some of us do it on Sunday mornings with Redeemer kids. Some of us will do this from other countries, among unreached people groups. Some of you will make royal announcements. You will make gospel tidings from your neighbor's couch, your own couch, or over coffee with a friend. But hear me, Jesus died to make you a missionary. Missionaries aren't the ones who just get sent out by an organization, raise a bunch of money, and move across the world. Every Christian is a missionary. As Charles Spurgeon says, every Christian is a missionary or he is an imposter. Jesus died to make you a missionary, and he rose to send you out. Whatever you think the purpose of your life is, your life goals, your life plans, all these kinds of things, it better include this. If it doesn't include this, you are following Satan's vision for your life more than Christ's. Listen, you and I were redeemed to make the Redeemer known. You were forgiven to make forgiveness known, that you could actually be forg- that people can be forgiven. You were saved to make salvation known. So will you do this? Will you live as his royal nation? Will you live as his own possession? There's a problem. We don't. And did you notice the conditional statements? Look at verse 5. The Lord says, Now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, keep my law that he's about to give in the Ten Commandments and on, you will be my own possession. There's a condition. You've got to keep this stuff and you'll be my people. You got to keep this stuff. You'll be my possession. They don't keep it. They all fail. A whole generation gets wiped out because of their rebellion against God because they don't keep his word. 
At one point, the earth opens up and swallows a bunch of them who disobey God. A whole rebellion occurs against the leaders of Israel. They have kings after king after king who doesn't keep, but in fact, raises up idols, breaks all the Ten Commandments. And even one of their great best kings commits murder. And so if it's hinged on, if you will carefully listen and keep my covenant, you'll be my possession, you'll be my people's. They don't keep it. And neither do we. No one in this room carefully listens and keeps all the covenant. So how do we get to be his own possession? How do we get to become the kingdom of priests and the holy nation? Because Jesus met the if. Jesus carefully listened to his father. He only did what his father said to do. He only said what his father said to say. He kept the covenant. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never lied. Jesus never lusted. Jesus never sinned in any way, shape, or form. He never did sins of omission, things that he should have done but didn't. Jesus never committed sins of commission, things he shouldn't have done, but he did do. No, Jesus kept the law, and he kept it all for us. And that's why when it says, when you believe, and the Bible says, when you believe in Christ, he gives us all of his righteousness. It's as though we are the ones who did carefully listen to the Father. Though we are the ones that kept the covenant, and Jesus gives us all of his righteousness, all of his listening to the Father, all of his keeping the word of God, and that's all now given to us, and then we do become his own possession. We do become the kingdom of priests because we are now a race, we are now a people that is in Christ. And Jesus takes all of the wrath that would have been ours. That's what this whole Mount Sinai encounter is showing. Look at verse 16. So when the third day comes, what happens on the top of Mount Sinai? God's holy wrath is manifested. Thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud trumpet sound. So all the people in the camp shuddered. They are afraid of the holiness of God, and we should be. If we are lawbreakers, we are terrified of the holiness of God. 17, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Moses says, look at it. Look at who we're about to follow. Do not take this lightly. Mount Sinai, verse 18, was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire and the smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder and God continues, don't let anybody come up or they will die. My holiness, will, they will deserve death because of my holiness. And Moses says, okay, I put up a fence. And God basically says, people jump fences. Tell them again. Do not come up or they will die. Well, they do disobey. They do break his law. They do deserve death, just like us. And what happens on the cross, friends, is that Jesus is taking all of that quaking wrath of God. This is why Jesus sweats drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, because the violent wrath of God that shook Mount Sinai lands on Christ. And now we can't approach God because of Christ, because we've been consecrated, we've been cleansed. And now we can go forward because we have a better mediator, not Moses. Moses was the one who went between God and the people, but now we have Jesus, the true and better Moses. 
who did not sin, who did die, but who rose again from the dead. And now Jesus, he doesn't just bring us to Mount Sinai. We don't get just go, oh, cool, we can go touch Mount Sinai now. No, no, no. Jesus brings us somewhere better. And Hebrews tells us Jesus brings us to Mount Zion. Look at what Hebrews says. For you have come, for you have not come to what could be touched, Mount Sinai, a blazing fire on top of Mount Sinai, darkness, gloom, storm, the blast of a trumpet, the sound of words. This is all Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. The people who heard it and begged that another word would not be spoken to them. They couldn't bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, you, y'all, y'all have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And what's there? Myriads of angels. It's a festive gathering. It's not doom and gloom. Mount Zion, eternity is a party. It's a gospel party that don't stop. You've come to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who's God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, sprinkled with blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. Friends, this is what Jesus brings you to, a gospel party in the new Jerusalem because he kept the law for you, because he kept the covenant for you. Jesus redeemed you for himself, carried you to himself, saved you for his purposes. And you should take a second just to look down every now and then. And you'll notice there's still only one set of footprints in the sand because he's carrying us all the way home. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.